Well, praise God, now I have to tell everybody that they're dirty, rotten scoundrels. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing, again, uh, so thankful, again, for God's work of grace. And when I say dirty, rotten scoundrels, I'm not uh, joking. I mean, it's incredible to look at the grace of God that happens to be in, in our life to change us to make us uh, trophies of grace. And we've been looking at this sermon again of Stephen, and it really again shows uh, the deplorable condition of Israel throughout the history. You remember that Stephen is on trial for his life. He's on trial before the Sanhedrin, and he's accused of uh, blaspheming the law, speaking against the temple. In other words, again, speaking against God. You know, and this is a serious charge. And the Sanhedrin looked at themselves as the caretakers of the only true religion. You know, every other religious... Uh, system was false. Every other religious system was basically idolatry, and they were the true caretakers of this. And they prided themselves that they walked in a line of faithful Israel. The only problem is when you look at the history of Israel, other than a few pockets of individuals here and there, it's rebellion after rebellion. And they looked at themselves, and they really prided themselves that they were following in that tradition. And what Stephen is saying in this sermon is don't follow in that tradition. Don't reject the Messiah. Recognize the grace of God that happened to begin in your life. And last time we were together, we looked and we saw uh, Israel. They came to the foot of Mount Sinai. You know, and Mount Sinai is full with smoke. It's full, again, of this thunder that's rattling. There's lightning. There's a trumpet that happens to be going on. And they're fearful. And Moses disappears in that smoke. And when he's delayed, here's the amazing thing. The Israelites rise up, and they build this golden calf, and they, sit, and they bow down, and they begin to worship this golden calf. And we're, we're surprised by it, aren't we? We're almost shocked by it. You know, after all that they've seen in Egypt, after all that they've experienced, after all that they've heard, we're so, again, surprised at this. But, but Israel is a real picture of the human heart, isn't it? Because even after all that we've seen, even after all that we've heard in God's word, we still have that propensity, each one of us, of our hearts to wander into idolatry, into the things, love the things that happen to be again around us, rather than the things of God. You know, and it is incredible because I think we live in a day and age where we think that we're so enlightened. We look back again at past generations, even our world that happens to be around us, our society that happens to be around us, it looks back at past generations and it's always condemning, always condemning and always condemning because we are so much more enlightened. And yet when you look at our society, especially our society in the last 50, 60 years, it really has rejected God. You know, and, and, and here's the amazing thing. God's witness, even as we sung about this morning, even as we heard about in Psalm chapter 8, the witness of God is all around us, isn't it? It's in the rocks and the hills and the trees. It's in the skies that happen to be getting above. You know, it's in this little cardinal that flew by me this morning. It's in the butterfly. It's in the petal that happened to begin on a, fly, on, on a flower. It's in the little cry that happens to begin of a baby. And when you see the intricacy, when you see the beauty, when you see the grandeur again of all of this, here's the truth. Only a fool says in his heart that there is no God. You know, and we look at people that happen to be around us and they profess to be wise, but they deny this great God that's so evident. And let me just say this, not only that, the influence of Christianity is an argument for the cause of Christ in and of itself. You look over the last 2,000 years in our world, the greatest cause for good, the greatest impetus for good, the greatest instrument of good has been Christianity. 
when you look at, look at the education system, which has really teetered and gone downhill, uh, downhill, but when you look at the education system, you know, the reason why it was established was because of uh, Christian principles. You know, they wanted children, they wanted uh, people to know what the Word of God actually said for themselves. So they learned to read, they learned to write, they learned to think, again, through these arguments that happen to begin in the Word of God. When you look at the modern medical system, it's based upon Christian principles. It's not based upon survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest, guess what, doesn't have any hospitals. You know, but when you look at Christianity, here are these people in this deplorable condition, and they wanted to give them a picture of Christ and his redemption, again, uh, from our sin. And they establish all these hospitals. When you look at the modern democratic system that we enjoy, that gives us the freedom even to meet together this morning, it's founded on, on the Judeo-Christian values that we hold so dear. And when you look at the thousands, and I would say uh, not thousands, but millions and millions and millions of individuals that lived, again, such unproductive lives, that there was such a stain on their communities, and all of a sudden came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden became productive members of their society. Only Christianity can boast of that. And yet here it is. The fool says in his heart that there is no God that there is no Christ. You know, but here's the thing that we have to be careful of, because we profess Christ, we profess salvation in his name. We recognize that there's no other name given among men where we must be saved, where we can have sins forgiven than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me just say this, we can play a functional fool. We can actually live, even though we profess Christ, we can live as if there is no God, as there is no Christ. You know, and this is the surprising thing. We can be around these truths, these precious truths. I mean, we sang, behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let's adore, adore him. And I wonder if we sing that from the heart. Because I think we can be around these truths so often that they can become dulled. Isn't it true? You know, you, you look at ancient Israel, and here they build a golden calf, and the mountain's right beside them. The mountain is still filled with smoke. It's still thundering. Lightning is still coming from them. The blast of the trumpet is still coming from them. But they've been around it so long that it's lulled them as far as the greatness, as far as the grandeur, as far as the awesomeness, as far as beholding this great God. And I think a lot of times when we look at the creation that happens to be again around it, other things start to take priority that happens to begin in our life. And when other things start taking priority in our life, when they become bigger than God, we call them, this is the term we use, we call them idols, idolatry. And we looked at two big ones last time we were together. We looked again at the whole idea, again, of materialism. We live in a very materialistic age and a very materialistic Christianity. And we looked at sex. You know, we have idolized our community, our society has idolized sex as the epitome of human happiness, of the epitome, again, of human meaning that happens to be again up there. And when you look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you look at what goes on in the church many times, we can see, again, even that idol exists in the professing church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder, you know, how often we are looking truly into our hearts trying to fight the idols that happen to begin exist there, even noticing them, our propensity to go this direction, our propensity to go in that direction, and really uh, fighting those idols. 
You know, because what I want us to look at this morning is I want us to look at how Israel, here they are here and how they got over here, how they got over to here. You know, here they come through the Red Sea. They're praising God. There's a scene of, of, of glory. Now, how did they get to here to this rank idolatry that happens to be over here? Because I think when we understand what is going on in our human hearts, what is going on in our lives, we're better uh, ready. We're better, better apt to fight those sins, that sin of idolatry that happens to begin in our life. So I want us to look at that. I want us to look at the dangers when we come out on a morning like this and we're just worshiping Christ externally, but our hearts are not engaged. And then I want us to see if our hearts are not engaged, that's when we turn to the idols. You know, that's, that's when these idols start to materialize that happens to begin in our life. And we know, you know, things come into people's lives and they turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ, they've never been saved to begin with. We realize that. You know, the work of Christ really has not gone in their hearts. But let me just say, the scripture commands each one of us to guard our hearts because out of it come the issues of life. And we can fall into seasons of sin, into seasons of apostasy that happens to begin in each one of our lives. You know, and let me just say this, that sin and idolatry have absolutely disastrous effects in the life of the believer. You know, and King David is a good example of that, isn't it? You know, so often we think of the idolatry of our own heart and our relationship with God and the damage it does. But let me, t- let me say, 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 you know, public sin, and I'm talking about rank sin, is like a pebble in a smooth pond. The ripples go out. The ripples are really big here, but they go out, and they touch so many people's lives. You know, when you look at David's life, you look at David's sin, and it affected him, it affected his family, and it affected the whole nation. And this is what you have to realize. There's repercussions for the idolatry that happens to be in our life. So the first thing that I want us to look at this morning, I want us to see the danger of external uh, Christianity or external, again, um, uh, praise to God. And you can see that in verse number 42, because look at what it says right here. It says, but God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the host of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifice during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? And I think a lot of times, as long as everything's fine on the outside, I think a lot of times we don't realize the danger of just going through the motions. You know, they're just the dangers of coming out like a Sunday like this, you know, our hearts somewhere else, our minds somewhere else. You know, we're singing something, again, so glorious. We're reading something so glorious as Psalm chapter 8. We're re-singing something so glorious as, you know, uh, uh, about a faithfulness of our God, about the glory of this great God, about beholding our God. But our hearts are somewhere else. We're singing, and it's almost like this is an interlude that's coming out of us, but we're thinking about something else. And we're just going through the motions. You know, the prayer is happening. We're praying here and publicly, but we're thinking about other things. We're longing for other things that happen to be in our life. And we're just going through the motions. And I mentioned last time we were together. Over the last decade, it is incredible how many Christian leaders and how many Christian pastors have fallen into moral compromise, moral sin that happened to be in their life. Very public sin. You know, and here's the thing. You know, the reason why people are so surprised in the churches which they are, when it finally comes to light that they're involved in this, the reason why they're so surprised is because everything looked fine on the outside. You know, they... 
the preacher, you know, every Sunday or every week he's involved in preparing sermons. You know, on Sunday he's preaching those sermons. He's involved in Bible study. He might even be involved in counseling and discipleship. And everything looked fine on the outside. But there happened to be this slow progression away from Jesus Christ. Slow progression where other things in his heart, in his life, were taking over. You know, I've sat with people who've wrecked their testimonies and wrecked their families, and they cry out, how did I ever get here? And they don't see that, that progression. That happened one decision after the, an, another, one yearning after another, until they're finally there, worshiping something else. And what we have here in verse number 42 is basically a... Um, an explanation that God will expose the sins that happen to be in the heart. And let me just say that because that can be scary, but you need to hear it. God is a holy God. And God, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is a holy lover of you. That means beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you are continuing, if you're going in a direction that is, again, idolatry, he's going to expose that, that idolatry. He's going to bring it to light. Behold, beware your sins will find you out. He will bring that into the light. You know, he's a God who will not be mocked. So we read in verse number 42, it says, but God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the hosts of heaven. As this is written, he explains it in the book of the prophets, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? So we think of that. You know, think of that because what it's telling us right here in this verse, because we think of this, we think God is obligated to always give us grace. God has to give me grace. God is obligated to give me grace. Let me just say this, that that destroys the whole definition of grace. Grace is a free gift. It's freely given to another who does not deserve that. When I say it's an obligation, then it's no longer grace. You know, and here's what you have to realize. God is a holy God. God is a sovereign, holy God who can do whatever he pleases to do. And many times, in the hearts of lives, you know, of individuals, he gives them over to what they're ultimately worshiping and ultimately loving in their life. He's the great revealer, the great exposer. In fact, we read similar verses over in the first chapter of Romans. We read this passage last time we were together in Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse number 22, but it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And listen what they did. And exchange the glory, that glory that we sang about this morning of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. But listen to the next two verses. Therefore, God gave them up. See that language again? God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to dishonor, the honoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And they wanted these things in creation. They wanted, again, even some legitimate pleasures but they wanted them outside of the will of God. You know, and they lusted for these things. And what God does in his judicialness that happens to be right here is he removes the restraints. You know, and what comes to pass is exactly what God wants to come to pass, right? He's absolutely sovereign over all this, right? He's absolutely in control of everything. The cross is the great, um, 
the great interpreter of all our lives. God controls all of those evil events, but his will comes to pass. His perfect will comes to pass. And God, again, will not be mocked. God is in control of this. And there's basically a cause and effect, isn't there? And the cause is basically, I want this, I want this, I want this, I yearn for this, I yearn for this, and I yearn for this. And the effect, again, and this is what it's talking about with God, God giving him over. There is an effect. And that is the giving over. And that's what it means, because basically the first part of this is explaining everything that happens to be in verses 42 and 43. It says, but God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. So the host of heaven, this idolatry that he's talking about, you have to realize that the ancients looked up at the stars that happened to be in the sky, and some of those stars moved. And we know today that they're not stars. They're actually planets in the nighttime sky. But they look like they move. You know, some, when we look at some stars and they're stationary, that happen to be there, but these planets, again, seem to move because our world is moving. You know, and they're moving around the sun at the same time. And they looked at that, and it was basically life. You know, these stars had life. They had power, and they had power, again, over humanity. But here's the thing. In idolatry, they gave the power that these, that these stars had. In other words, they could give me this, they could give me this, they could give me this if I just worshipped them the right way. And that's where the idolatry was. Now, here's the question. Because God had proven himself over and over and over. He is the one true redeeming God. How did they get from here to over here? And that's where the quote of Amos chapter 5 comes in. And this is a quote from Amos chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. And it really covers all of the history and the downfall, again, of the Jews. But listen to the quote here. You know, in, in, in verse 42, it says, Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Now, he's asking them a question. And the question is basically this. Did you bring the appropriate sacrifices that I commanded to do? Did you bring these slain beasts, you know, to me? And there was various different types of sacrifices. There was some, you know, consecration. There was some sin. There was some uh, oblation. There's some, again, for worship. There were some, again, guilt offerings that were offered. There were all these sacrifices that were offered. And he's asking me a question. During these 40 years, 40 years of wandering through this wilderness, did you bring these offerings? And here's the answer. Yes, they did. And here's the, here's the point, again, of Amos. No, you didn't. And what, what's happening here? And here, here's what they would do. They would bring this worship sacrifice before him, and they were to worship God. Here it is, in spirit and in truth. And here they come in truth. And the heart is not engaged. Here's his guilt offering. I am guilty before you. I need your mercy. Here's this consecration of offering. Oh, God, you're so good. I surrender all. And the heart is not engaged with who God is. And let me say, when the heart is not engaged, when we are just going through the motions, this is the first step towards idolatry. You know, something else in our life uh, has captured our hearts. You know, and we're going through it ritualistically, externally, right? Right? We come out to church and, you know, I got to do church today. I got to check off that box. 
You know, there's no thrill, there's no excitement, there's no anticipation of praising this great God. I've got to read my Bible today so everything will go right. I can check that off. You know, I've got to sing these songs. Whatever it happens to be, whatever it's called to do, we check it off, but we're just doing it externally, not thinking about this great God. In fact, even verses like Psalm chapter 16 and verse number 11, we can't even intimate. We don't even know what the psalmist is talking about because other things have captured our hearts and we're just going through. Christianity says, you make, me, make known to me the path of life. And listen to what he says because it's not just talking about sweet by and by. The psalmist is talking about his life in the here and now. And he says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. Right? There's nothing better than this God. Nothing more glorious than who he is and living for him. And people just worship God externally. Well, other things. That's a verse that happens before. And, uh, re remember Jesus uh, condemns the Pharisee in the uh, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? You know, it goes like this in Luke chapter 18. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One, of the, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like, the, like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I do. Now, here's a question. Think about it. Think about it. What is he doing wrong? Right? He's not committing adultery. He's not an extortioner taking advantage of other people. You know, he fasts twice a week. You know, he prays at appropriate times. He even gives, again, whatever comes into this coffers, he gives, again, that appropriate amount that happens to be in God. And here's the question. What is he doing wrong that Jesus Christ would condemn him? And here it is. All that he is doing is external. God, look at me. It's not, look at him. Look at this great God. How can I not pray? How can I not fast that I might know him better? How can I not give that his kingdom might advance? It's not about him. And let me say, when we get to that externality, other things take, take, take place, right? Pride of self, I'm not like him, I'm not like that tax collector, I'm not like these other people that happen to be again over here. Other things, pride, arrogance, judgmentalism. You know, you look at lust, and lust doesn't seem that bad because I'm such a terrific person. Materialism, because I'm such a terrific person, doesn't seem that bad anymore. And these idols start taking place in our hearts. But listen to the brokenness, again, of the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. It says, but the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner, he saw the holiness, the augustness, the glory of this great God and realized who he was before him. One walks away just and one walks away condemned. And the difference in there is the engagement of the inner person. Now, this is what the people in the wilderness did not see. Their hearts were somewhere else. This is where the Sanhedrin didn't see. They were doing many of the right things. You know, they loved the temple. They loved the traditions of man. But they did not love the God of the temple or the God of the law. 
And we are to love Christ with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mind. This is God's will. They had gone so far in their external, dead, ritualistic service that they didn't realize even that they had left God. They didn't even realize that they had missed the Messiah. They denied again who he truly was, and nothing could be clearer that this is the Messiah that happened to begin before them. And yet they rejected him and murdered him. And let me just say that external, dead, ritualistic Christianity is a killer. It can never lead you. If we just come out to check off a box, we just come out just to go through the motions, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is not bringing you closer to Christ. It's actually taking you further away from Christ. Imagine it, singing about how, behold our God this morning, and I'm actually drifting away from God. Imagine that. Such an anthem of praise. Imagine reading Psalm chapter 8 and having read into our lives about this great God. God, how could you ever be mindful about me? And my heart is actually going further away from Christ. That's what external religion does. It goes through forms, it goes through ritual, but the mind, the heart, the inner self is not engaged as far as this great God. And let me, and let me say, uh, when we look at that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have to realize that as we go down that path, these things will materialize in our life. In other words, these gods, these idols will come out in our life. And that's the second point I want us to see is empty ritualism, you know, will always, again, lead to these, not only creating idols in our hearts, but these idols coming out. And look at verse number 43, because it says, You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Now, I said this last time, and it bears repeating and it's basically this. If we are apathetic towards God, right? If I can't sing from the depths of my soul because I know who God is, behold my God and use it as a witness to others who happen to be again around me and express my heart as far as the greatness of this great God that happens to be above. If I can't sing it, if I can't hear Psalm 8 and recognize the glory of this great God who has called me to this wonderful salvation, then I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm worshiping something else. Somebody who is apathetic towards Christianity is excited about something else in their life, right? Because all humans are worshipers. The question is, what are we worshiping? Or who are we worshiping that happens to begin in our life? It's, it's, it's amazing. Modern-day Christianity uses God as a um, tool in order to get their idols, right? If I'm just faithful enough, if I'm just loyal enough to God, if I just serve enough to God with, with God, then God will give me the things that I want. He'll give me the marriage I want. He'll give me the things of life that I want. You know, and, and I think a lot of times we become closer to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel than we like to believe. You know, if I'm just faithful to God, I can get these things, right? And what, what am I doing? I'm not worshiping God. I'm worshiping God in order to get the idols that I want. And this is what I'm worshiping. Either that or a lot of people trade off. You know what I mean by trade off? If I'm just busy enough for God, God's not going to expose my idols. You know, God, I got these things in my life. You know, I know they're wrong. I know I'm not, uh, uh, but look at all I do for you. 
You know, and, and it's, almost like it, it's almost like a work salvation that we enter in. And the reason why I'm serving God is in order that I won't be exposed. But God's just a tool. God's just a means to get what I want. I can remember this was several years ago. A woman called the church, unaffiliated with this church, and she was having trouble in her marriage. And she told me about her husband. Her husband, again, was hard to get along with. They were arguing. They were bickering all the time. And she was, prof- and she was a professed believer, but she was too scared to go to people that happened to be getting into her church. I'm not sure why. Uh, but she asked me, again, what she should do. And so I tried to encourage her. I opened up the, uh, the scriptures, and I began to share, share with her how wondrous the gospel is and how wondrous the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ is in the gospel, and that he sends us through these horrendous things that happen to begin in our life for a good good. And what we need to do is just trust him and just be obedient, just be the Christians that we need to be. And she actually stopped me in the middle of that conversation. She said, wait, wait, wait. She said, you misunderstand me. I don't want to hear about God's love. I want to hear about how I get my husband to love me. And think of it. Is it a bad thing for a husband to love his wife and to want that? And the answer is absolutely not, but here it is. I'm going to use God in order to get this. And this became a functional idol that happens to be in their life. And it's a scary thing. I don't know if you get scared by your human heart and the things that go on in your human heart because we let them, right? right? Nobody sees it, but we let things take over our heart. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves thinking about that thing more, thinking about that person more, thinking about that object more. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves thinking and thinking and thinking, so much so that even when we try to turn it off, We can't turn it off. And remember this principle. We are the type of people who have the type of hearts that will sacrifice all the good that happens to be in our lives in order to get our idols. And when we finally get them, there's destruction in the wake. We're those types of people. And here's the thing you have to understand about God. God is a God who will not be mocked. God is a God who is holy. God is a God who has holy love, and he will not let that hypocrisy stand. In other words, whatever in the heart is going to come out, and there's going to be two options right here. One is going to be repentance, right? One is going to be turning from those idols towards the Lord Jesus Christ, or one is just going to be walking away. And a person who walks away, again, has shown beyond a shadow of a doubt that they never truly did believe in Christ. They just followed Christ maybe for the things that they got. So when you look at verse number 43, you always have to keep verse 42 in mind because verse 42 asks that question, are you really here this morning about God? Are you really here wanting to worship him? Are you really here because you love Jesus Christ? Are you really here because he is worthy to be lauded, to be praised, to be... uh, 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 glorified again with our lives. Is that why you're here this morning? Are you here for something else? Because well, let me tell you, verse 42, did you really? Verse 43, here it is, the idolatry. You know, that happens begin right here. And no doubt that's the message that Stephen's given to the Sanhedrin. 
You know, you want to be in this long line of faithfulness, of, of godliness? Well, when you look at that long line, it's not faithfulness. It's ungodliness, and you're following in that way. And here's the scary thing. This is how much idols take over my lives. doesn't matter what the preacher says. doesn't matter what the Word of God says. doesn't matter how clear it is in the Word of God. We are going to cross our arms and say, look, look, it's not going to take over my, my life. I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. And these things are written that we might know that we can't handle it. We can't handle it. You know, that's why we cleave to Christ. That's why we come to him. That's why we make it more about his kingdom rather than our kingdom. Because look at verse number 43 again with all of that in mind in verse number 42. Did you really, did you really worship me? Look at what happened. You took up the tent of Moloch. And the star of the god Raphan, the images that you made to worship. And I will send you, right? Otherwise, when, he, when God does this, when God judges, he's making it apparent. It's because of their idolatry. He's bringing that out in the open. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Now, I'm going to speak again a little bit about this verse, but there's a little interpretational problem I have to take care of. And that is when you look over in Amos chapter 5, Amos, again, says that they're going to be taken beyond, here it is, Damascus. When you look at this verse, it says you are going to be taken beyond what? Babylon, right? Why the difference? And the difference is basically this. When you look at Amos, Amos is speaking of the northern community. Remember, Israel is divided in two at this time. He's speaking to the northern community of Syria, uh, Syria right here. And here they are worshiping these gods. And all of a sudden, the Assyrians are going to come. They're going to conquer them. It's going to be apparent that they're not worshiping God, and they're going to be taken beyond Damascus to Assyrian captivity. Now, the southern community of Israel does the same thing a little later, don't they? Except they're, they come, and here it is, the Babylonians come against them and take them again to the other side of Babylonia, Babylon, other words, in Babylonian captivity, and it shows the idolatry that happens to be in their heart. Stephen is in Jerusalem. Stephen is in the southern community. And that's why he uses the change here of there. And the tent of Moloch, and when you look at the star of Raphan, the star of Raphan was basically the star Saturn. And they looked at the star, and I described this before, it moved, and they worshipped it. They thought, again, it had life, it had living. You know, and when you look at Moloch, I'm not going to go into it, because some of the worship of Moloch was absolutely deplorable, absolutely degrading. You know, and I'm not going to go into that. But here's the question. How did they get from here to here? And it tells us, did you worship this external religion? And all of a sudden, here's what they do. You know, the temple's at Jerusalem. They're coming to Jerusalem. They're worshiping God. They're bringing the appropriate sacrifices to God. You know, their hearts are not engaged, but they're still bringing these sacrifices to God. But at the same time, little by little, they're erecting these different shrines, these different outposts to these various different gods. You know, they're looking at the other nations. They're looking again at the favors of these other nations, these other gods and what they are giving the people. And here's the thing. They're hedging their bets. You know, if I can't get it from God, maybe I can get it from these other gods. Now, here's the thing you have to realize about idolatry, right? No man can serve two masters, right? He's going to hate the one and love the other. And here, here's what it is. We're trying to serve two. We're trying to serve two. But the heart goes incrementally, incrementally. 
little by little by little by little, all of a sudden tells worshiping this one. You know, all of a sudden, we see in individuals' lives no fruit of Christianity. And we wonder, and, and, and it's a good question, whether they've been saved ever. You know, they still claim the name Christian, but they wanted so much the things that happened to begin in this life that they worshiped, here it is, the things in creation more than the things of God, more than the God of eternity. You know, Jesus said this in the uh, parable of the four thorns. He described the seed that fell on the thorny uh, ground this way, as for what was sown among the thorns. This is one who hears the word, right? Hears the word. There's some sort of affiliation that happens to be with the word. But here it is, the cares of the world. And look at what it says next, the deceitfulness of riches. Jokes the word. And what's it prove? It proves unfruitful. You know, and we've seen this process go on in people. And the real question is, do we feel that pull? Because if we feel that pull, it's now time to turn and trust Christ. It's now time to come to him and realize the provision that he has for sinners like us. But even, even those who happen to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we realize, we realize, we forget that We forget the God of glory, but we feel that pull of the world to leave the God we love. And we ask ourselves, how do we ever protect ourselves? And let me just say this. One of the ways that we don't, there's going to be some people that happen to be here this morning go, oh, Father, my heart is so sinful. Help me. Help me. I feel that, that, that sense of wandering. And God's word is having that perfect work in your life. There's others that happen to be here this morning. Is What's he talking about? I can handle this. You know, I can look at those things that happen to be again on the computer screen. It's not going to take me down the wrong path. I can flirt with the opposite sex, and it's not that big of a deal. You know, I can make these purchases. I know I can't afford it. I know, but it's no big deal. This is not going to capture my art, right? And here's, here's, here's how it captures it. We really think that we're strong enough to stand. Only a weak sinner will turn to Jesus Christ. Only one who recognizes that I need the mercy and grace of Christ will come and trust in him. Only those will flee to him. And let me tell you, this is why we have Sunday services. Sunday services are about worshiping this great God. But Sunday services is about guarding our hearts, isn't it? Calling us back. You know, this is why we have a Wednesday night Bible study. Wednesday night Bible study is not just intellectual, interesting truths about this uh, God. But what is to, to challenge us? It's challenges in the heart. That's why we just don't explain the truth. This is, what, this is what this text says. But we apply that truth. And why? Because we need this. All of us need that. I mean, have you ever thought, why do we have Old Testament histories? Why do we have Old Testament histories? Right? Is it just, well, this is what happened in the Old Testament times. Why do we have them? Well, Paul tells us, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning of verse number 6, he says this, Now these things took place, what? As examples for us. Why? That we might not desire evil as they did. And here's the command. Do not 
be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did as they were destroyed by serpents, nor, nor grumbles, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And listen to what he says right at the end. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. It's so easy to condemn others. So easy to say, look at those deplorable people in the Old Testament. Look at those awful Sanhedrin. And not even see the sin in our own lives. And how about you? Do you consider yourself above falling? Does it still shock you and scare you how much sin still remains in your heart. It's only then that we flee idolatry and cleave to Christ. Oh God, save us from a worship that is repugnant and external in your your sight. Help us to truly offer up sacrifices of praises that originate from our heart because we truly cherish you. May that be our prayer. And as we look to this great God, let's pray that right now. Let's bow our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at this text, oh God, as we look at this sermon of Stephen, it's amazing how many times the heart comes up. Lord, our problem is not the sensuality around us. Our problem is not the ease of credit. Our problem is not with government. Our problem, our main problem, is not external. Our main problem is us, our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us. I thank you for the new life that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to really guard our hearts. Lord, to really cleave to Christ. To really see how foolish and deceptive our hearts are, so much so that we would flee idolatry and cling to our Savior. We thank you so much. Just be with us as we're dismissed. In Christ's name, amen. Brother. Thank you again, Pastor Scott. So thankful for the word of God and how it